and welcome back to True Crime Guys Podcast. I'm your host, Michael, and the co-host I love the most is with me today, Andy. How's it going, Andy? It is so cold today. We're actually, (laughs) oh my God, morning is not nice in the Carolinas. (laughs) No, no, but we're cozy here in the studio, and I see you got the black shirt memo. That's good. I know, right? We 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 actually had to try to look a little bit more uh, on page today. We're on the same page, finally. (laughs) I'm just trying to look like a floating head with arms. Right. Actually, yeah, that's, that's what I'm going for. Um, But guys, really, quite honestly, we are freaking thrilled to have you here on TCG Proper. And if you're watching us on YouTube, don't forget to hit that like and subscribe button so you can stay up to date on all the educational stuff that we release here on TCG on the daily. Not kidding, guys. We release shorts from episodes, even Patreon episodes, uh, pretty frequently. So speaking of, last week here on TCG, we were over on Patreon for another Patreon exclusive where we covered the Christian identity racist cult. I mean, uh, movement. I'm sorry. I do all of it. You still a, slid the. It's a slip. You yeah. still slid the racist in there. Yeah, it's, yeah. You got, Christian identity <laughs> racist movement. <laughs> but uh, anyways, while here on the free platform, we covered some headlines and, of course, got into a few shenanigans along the way. Right, Andy? I mean, how could we not? Exactly, exactly. Yeah, we talked about Tupac and uh, Natalie Holloway, two cases that um, you may have seen in the news a little bit this past week. Or if right? you haven't heard for over the past 25, 30 years at this yeah, point. I yeah, mean, the past probably, week or 30 years, you know, somewhere I feel like there. you may have caught a, a mention of them at some point. At some point, at some point. But that is so last week, Andy. I'm over it. I really am. Today on TCG, we're talking about the murder of former Texas media mogul and multimillionaire Stephen Beard. Now, this story revolves around a deadly love triangle, but its three sides are jealousy, greed, and mental illness, if you catch my drift. I mean, that's a pretty <laughs> solid base, right? That that's is a solid, solid base for uh, for crime. For, <laughs> for a love triangle disaster. Yeah, those three sides are perfect. Um, fun fact for you, our case was actually featured on the first ever episode of the hit TV series, Snapped, which is on the Oxygen Network and is mainly centered around female killers who snapped. Obviously. Uh, and you know, Andy, if they use your story for the pilot episode, you know your story's nuts. Uh, yeah, that's the, you got, you were like, ooh, I, like I yeah. said, I was telling Mike, I felt like that natural born killer seems like we do better than Manson. Well, you didn't do better than Manson. But <laughs> <laughs> we still want to use your story. We still want to use your story, and it is pre- pretty crazy. This story is, um, in a lot of ways, stereotypical crime. This story is is got all of the elements. So much so, I think that if you were a crime fictional writer, this would be a great template, wouldn't it? Like it's like you if you read this story, not knowing if I told you if I gave you three stories and this was one, and I told you one was false, you would probably pick this one. This one, this one does because the more, it's so cliche. The one, yeah. The more we kept writing and the more we kept looking to this story, it's you start seeing all these cliches in the story, mm-hmm. and you realize that oh, this is the this is one of the store like the cases that these things became cliche off of. Exactly. Like it, it reads like a mini series. It reads like a lifetime series. It's it's almost cinematic in the way it played out. No doubt. No doubt. All right, guys. Well, I think we teased it enough. Andy, let's roll that intro and let's get into it. Same old story with different names. She was in her 30s, he was twice her age. It was love and money at first sight. Till she started acting funny when they cut off the light. Little something extra in his ever Shotgun blast, coming face to 
guys let's get into this story right where the shit hits the fan it was during the early hours of october 2nd 1999 stephen beard was sound asleep at his home in austin texas until he was violently awoken with a single shotgun blast directly to his stomach now what's crazy is stephen would somehow still manage to compose himself enough to dial 911 hello yeah as you could hear there it honestly it really doesn't sound like steve just got shot in the stomach he's actually handling it pretty well other than the denial of my guts just jumped out of my stomach I mean that's a, that's um, probably the best way to explain that uh, like that how to wake up that way just to wake up with a shotgun blast and look down and you're just holding your guts like you you don't that's know true. what would happen it was just I like guess, a, yeah. just those shouldn't be there that why did this happen <laughs> that dream was so realistic on, those are on the inside yeah it was it was pretty crazy but yeah he composed himself pretty well to have just gotten shot by a stump uh, shot by a shotgun rather. Um, and when paramedics got there, they quickly broke through the sliding glass door. They didn't even check any other doors to see if they were unlocked. They just wanted to break some glass, I think. No, I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. Just threw a rock <laughs> on the street before they even got there? No. Actually, I think that glass door was unlocked as well. We'll talk about that more later. Um, but no, they broke the glass only after their knocks and calls were unanswered. Um, but once inside the home, two women come up to the paramedics um, from a separate wing of the home. One of these women was Stephen's wife, Celeste Beard, who quickly began acting hysterical while watching the EMTs care for Stephen. The other one was one of Celeste's twin daughters, Christina, who was relatively calm throughout the whole ordeal, but she later said mainly because she just didn't know what was going on. I mean, what do you what would you expect, right? You don't understand what's going on. There's no reason to get to get all flustered. You did, I mean, somehow she didn't hear a shotgun blast, apparently. I do feel like but, she was the only one who was in genuine shock. Like, she was the only one who was kind of she walking was in around shock. in, like, now, what is happening? Yes. And these girls have lived a traumatic life, which more on that later. 
Um, but what seemed to be a medical emergency quickly turned into a criminal investigation when a shotgun shell was found on the floor of the bedroom. And after airlifting Stephen out of the area, the police began their investigation into what really went on in the home that night. But before we get into the nitty-gritty of the investigation, let's learn a little bit about the beards, shall we? That is, it does kind of say, like, they, they, they thought this was just a medical emergency. The, the mm -hmm. uh, paramedics actually say they thought he was an elderly man who had, like, ruptured uh, stitches or, like, blown a hernia or some kind of, uh, like, surgery. That's because, what, I mean, the way he described it, you would think that. Yeah, my, my guts have jumped out of my stomach, and there, mm -hmm. he never said he was shot. There was no signs of forced entry. It was, right. it, they thought they, they were prepared for just a medical emergency. Exactly, exactly. And it was so much more. Um, but like I said, let's go back and give a little history on the Beards and how this blended family came together. So Stephen Beard made his debut on November 27, 1924, and was an American businessman and TV personality in Dallas, Texas. He was one of the co-founders of KBVO, an Austin-based TV station which later rebranded as KEYE. Stephen would be forced to deal with tragedy, though, when his first wife, Elise Helen Adams, succumbed to brain cancer in 1993. After 42 years of marriage, you know that was hard, Andy. Oh, that is that's you a life that's partner there. 50, 42 years, man. Yeah. Like me and my wife been together almost 20, and if I lost her, I I can't even imagine. When you get to that many years, you you've been together more years than you were ever apart. Exactly. So yeah, it's exactly. you don't know a life without them. Yeah, me and my wife got together so young, we've already surpassed that. We're already yeah. past the halfway mark. Um, but after his wife's death. Steve decided that life was too short and he needed to make the best of it. So he ended up selling his TV station for a brow raising $54 million, man. $54 million in the 90s? In 1999? Man, the economy was good in the 90s, wasn't it? You were ready for Y2K. God almighty. <laughs> I'm going to have everything ready. <laughs> $54 million. Like, you're done. You don't have to work anymore. Um, and Steven started going to the local country club where he met a woman by the name of Celeste Johnson. I mean, what else do you do when you retire, right? He's probably been a member forever and just never had time to go. Like most businessmen own their own business, right? They're busy. But now he's frequenting this country club. Um, but he met Celeste Johnson there who had been working as a waitress at the Austin Country Club where Steve was now a prominent member. I feel like he was probably now, just killing time there now. He's just going yeah. there for company. He's going there to be around people, and he's yeah. got nothing else to do. So other, he's probably just hanging out there more now. Other rich, bored people. Yeah, he's just he's just, just killing time out. there now. Exactly. Now, Celeste, on the surface, appeared to be somewhat a suitable match for the Lonely Bachelor, right? Like, what, what more could you ask for at the end of your life? And after only a month of dating, Celeste and her daughters move in with Stephen. Despite his three adult children, Stephen III... Becky and Paul all having major doubts about their father's newfound love, but they do eventually give in. I mean, they said he seemed happy and, you know, Steve, it's just, they didn't care that Celeste was 30 and Steve was 68. I mean, it's, it's a, it's clear. It, like I said, this is one of those cliches it's cliche. that you start that we started to talk about. It's like, oh my God, really such a cliche. And you're like, oh, it was 1999. I ain't she a gold dude. Like, oh yeah, yeah. this yeah. is why it's a cliche. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So let's meet the 30-year-old Celeste, shall we? Celeste was born in California and adopted by Edwin and Nancy Johnson when she was just an infant on February 13th, 1963, just before Valentine's Day. Unfortunately, according to Celeste, her early years were what she called challenging. 
Now, she claims she endured years of physical and sexual abuse from her adoptive father, which ultimately led her to try to end her life as a teen. We can't say the S word anymore, Andy. We got to tiptoe around that, you know. You can't say the S word. Gotcha. You, get, you get demonetized. Um, but she also seemed to blame every bad thing in her life on her adoptive father, even her shortcomings as a mother. Um, which, like I said, we'll talk more about that later. Celeste, at the age of 17, became the mother of twin daughters, Jennifer and Christina, and that was in 1980. Craig Bratcher, Celeste's fiance, and, and he was the biological father of her children, was the first of several men that she would go on to marry. Now, none of these marriages lasted very long, um, and Celeste would leave Bratcher in 1983, blaming his problems with drugs and alcohol as the reasons for the divorce, which we'll never truly know because she's, she's such a compulsive liar. I mean, but, Bratcher did have substance abuse problems, but yeah. when you start to see her track record, it's more, it's, you almost think it's like, well, maybe she just kind of used this one up. Exactly. Like it's just, she was just bouncing to the next one. Yeah. She could have even encouraged the drug abuse problems and then later blamed them when she wanted to leave him. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like, I, I wouldn't put it past her. Um, but Celeste, nevertheless, made the decision to join the United States Air Force shortly after leaving Bratcher. As a result, she had no other option but to entrust the care of her twins to Craig. However, realizing she couldn't bear being away from her children for so long, Celeste chose to withdraw her enlistment. Yeah, I'm sure that's what it was. I feel like there's I'm more sure to that, it. <laughs> there's more to that. I want to find that. I want to find that application yeah. page where the Air Force <laughs> like, no. She's just like, like <laughs> I think she was like. No, I think I'm gonna be a sugar baby instead. Yeah. Oh wait, I gotta go um, to boot camp. Oh. Oh no 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 no. I, I thought I work. could just. I we thought I could just fly. I thought <laughs> I just got. To, I, thought, I thought this was like Pan Am actually. Right. <laughs> we get paid how much? I like, thought I was gonna uh, be like a stewardess. No, I no. I misread the pamphlet. <laughs> exactly. Um, but this decision led to an unpleasant legal battle where she later wanted the twins back. Now, during this process, Christina, one of the twins, reported to police that her father had abused her and her sister. Christina was always Celeste's favorite, okay? Keep that in mind. And in a very parent trap type situation, arrangements were made for Christina to stay with Celeste while Jennifer went to live with her father. Can you imagine that? Like, even today, like having twins and just being like, uh, which one you want? Yeah. I kind of wanted that. I kind of uh, wanted that one. Rock paper scissors. Like, <laughs> how could you pick like just to do that? To be like, all it, right, you get that one. I'll get this one. I, they probably let the twins decide. Honestly, and you would hope so. But these these are this is still pretty young. This is they are very young when they when she divorces him. They were born in 1980. Yes. So these are yeah. only three year old girls. So clearly, I feel like this is almost a sign that the 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 claims that Christina made were almost fed to her. Like a, it's hard for a three year old exactly kids a three year old to really like. Like uh, I said, make Celeste, those, those those claims clearly, it's it's difficult to think of. Absolutely, and like I said, Celeste had a lot of control over Christina. For whatever reason, she really latched onto her, and Christina spent the most time with her. Um, but unfortunately, Craig ends up taking his own life in 1996. So both girls would be reunited with their mother under one roof. The girls were 15 at the time of his passing. Now Celeste would have two more marriages within the next 10 years. That frankly, are irrelevant to this story. And so we're not going to go into that. We got plenty to cover. Don't get me wrong. <laughs> I mean, one guy's but, name gets pulled back up and he's kind of just like, oh, Martinez, shut up. Shut up. <laughs> like, you know, Martinez. Wanna, yeah. yeah. I don't want to be called. <laughs> yeah. We'll talk a little bit about Jim Martinez uh, later on. Um, but at the age of 30, Celeste got a job as a cocktail waitress at the Austin Country Club, like we said earlier, where she would start to make fast friends with Stephen Beard. Um, and that was in less, in less than a month after meeting Stephen, Stephen and Celeste were moving in together. 
his place, of course, Andy. I mean, he's got so much room. <laughs> I mean, he's got plenty of room. And Celeste loved her new lavish lifestyle that had fallen to her lap, as if that wasn't her intention the whole time, working at the country club. I mean, don't get it. Come on. I mean, yeah, this wasn't, a, this wasn't a nightclub. She was looking at. to hook a guy from the start, man. But Stephen would shower Celeste with gifts and extravagant trips around the world. I mean, the man had a fortune. I mean, how? and now, once again, he had someone to spend it on. It does show that his kids were not very dependent on him. I feel like his kids had kind no. of set up their own lives. So it wasn't like he was having like a bunch of kids that he was having to take care of I mean, either. Look, he got a lump sum of $54 million. If you don't take care of your kids from that, what kind of dad are you? Oh, yeah. I don't no, care I like how it, old they yeah. are. I don't care if your kids are in their 60s. You get $54 million, you need to give some to your kids. Oh, yeah. I feel like his kids were taken care of yeah, in the yeah. long run, but he, it wasn't like he was he had these like adult children just living with him and feeding off of him. Oh, like, no, no, no. They were He's good. Like, well, I guess I'll just spend it on me. <laughs> yeah. They all look like successful adults in, in, you know, in their own right. And if they took after their dad, yeah, no wonder. And I'm sure their mother was a, an amazing woman, too, because their, their mother helped Stephen build that empire that oh, he yeah. currently had. She was with him when he had nothing. He was like a factory worker. They got together at a super young age, which was, you know, very popular for that time. But on February 18th, 1995, Stephen would make one of the greatest mistakes of his life and marry Celeste for sure. Throughout their time together, he would repeatedly offer her a generous sum of $1 million and even requested to adopt her two daughters as his own. How could she how could she deny that? I feel like that was such a just a blatant like lump sum. Like I'll give you a million dollars. Just just come just, on, live with me. We'll take whatever it is. Like it right? was just like a it's just like a, a I mean, quick request. A million dollars is that is the lowest amount where it's a no brainer, right? Somebody says a million dollars, like okay, I'm considering this. Mm -hmm. I am absolutely considering this, and you know Steve knows that. Um, but both of Celeste's daughters, Jennifer and Christina, had a really good relationship with Stephen. Actually, probably one of the greatest father figures they had in their life. Oh, yeah. These, um, the two girls genuinely could talk about how much they enjoyed him. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Now, they were, rightfully so, skeptical of the millionaire, but that was more in part to their mother's bad choices in men than it was really Steve's demeanor. But after living with Stephen, the girls both recognized him as a loving and caring stepfather. And the newly blended family appeared to be thriving, you know, from the outside at least. Seeing Stephen take his new daughters out for ice cream or brunch dates on Sunday mornings would lead people to believe that the recent widower had found his silver lining after all. But underneath the surface, hell was about to break loose. So let's get in to some of these hellish problems. With her newly acquired wealth and status, Celeste began to spiral out of control with spending habits, as we see pretty often with you know people like lottery winners. Anybody who comes into a large fortune all at once, if you've never had that, it is downright near impossible to to really know how to manage your money and celeste had a seemingly unending amount of it at this time at least in her opinion she's also had a pretty traumatic life as is so she's she's probably somebody who's going to try and fill those voids with whatever she can buy right right and you know she also claimed that she struggled with depression throughout her whole life so you know retail therapy that's that's a great thing as long as you have the money um, Celeste, but Celeste would blow through an initial $500,000 that Stephen had placed in a trust account for her. And in just six months of marriage, that account would be bone dry. That's a hell of a wedding present right there, isn't it? That is. Like just slide that a, credit card across the table. Be I like, mean, here you go. <laughs> I mean, he put the money in an account. Like you could have changed your life and set up your girls with $500,000. 
Oh, yeah. But yet she was spending ridiculous amounts. In her shopping sprees uh, following the wedding, she claimed daily expenses sometimes between $15,000 and $30,000. In one mind-blowing example, she would drop an insane hundred and twenty-five grand within a month. That, yeah, oh my God. And you know she wasn't shopping every day. So that like if she just went shopping on the weekends, Jesus Christ. Oh yeah, she's whenever she's I mean, getting, she's spending 30 grand a month. She's, I mean, I, a I week. just imagine that like that cliche, like sex in the city, walk down the street with all the Prada bags and, and the Gucci <laughs> and just, you know, kind of the, you know, uh, pretty in pink type deal. Yeah. Or whatever. Just like, I, I just imagine that like out of control like hiring somebody to carry That's all your what bags for you and shit. Absolutely. She probably needed multiple people to carry the bags. Um, but she justified her spending by claiming that she was buying stuff for the house. You know, for the family, Andy. These clothes are for the family. Oh, yeah, because this mansion already wasn't furnished from the couple that had lived there for 40 years. Right. <laughs> I'm sure there was nothing of value in the house. Oh, yeah, just an empty uh, shell of a home. <laughs> what are you going to do with it? Um, but also, during these first six months, Stephen was informed by his bank that Celeste had been unlawfully accessing his safe deposit box. The banker told Stephen that she had been removing valuable jewelry and silverware from the box that originally belonged to his late wife, Elise. Now, this kind of baffled me, because the bank knows about this, but yet they're still letting her waltz in here to this box. I'm, I'm guessing she has a key, mm -hmm. and so maybe there's nothing they can do, but they're sitting here witnessing her having access to a box that she's not supposed to it's like why can't why don't you stop her isn't the bank's job to to secure your things in the way that they're supposed to be secured what do you what's he paying the bank for i feel like it was probably some loophole that like as soon as she got married her name got added to an account and she got authorization somehow yeah. and maybe she just like went to the bank with the you know the claims that her husband said she could do this or so and so right. and she was getting these things for him and i feel like the bank just told him it was like oh yeah you know your wife was in here picking out these things and he's like whoa, 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 oh what? i see what you're saying <laughs> there we go that yeah, makes more sense like, like i didn't say she could do that <laughs> right so after the fact the bank was like okay i see what you're saying like they mentioned it and then they were like okay she wasn't supposed to be doing that you're like oh gotcha. our bad we thought that was cool <laughs> yeah exactly but the out of control spending and the blatant disrespect for his finances would leave Stephen to file for divorce before the end of the first year of their marriage. But after two months of therapy and counseling, the couple would reunite and the divorce filings were withdrawn from Stephen. Now, the couple seemingly had worked out their differences and figured out a way to manage Celeste's spending habits, and they would live somewhat quiet lives, well, for the next three years which is a pretty good amount of time, right? To kind of make Steve feel comfortable again, let him get into this lull of security like she actually loves him, right? All right, yeah, you guys set that alibi. You got to really right. set that, uh, that public opinion about That's yourself. Right. You got to do things in secret for a little while. Um, but it's safe to say throughout the marriage, they both had some serious concerns about Celeste's mental state. And I do mean they both did. She had been experiencing depression for years at this point, and it was beginning to come to a head. During a heated argument, Celeste threatened to hurt herself by grabbing a fire poker. Now, this was a go-to for Celeste. She loved to control people and get people's guards down by threatening to hurt herself. Anytime she didn't get her way, it was a threat of suicide. I say, it's such a, it's such like a teenage mentality of like, I'm gonna, oh my god, if you don't do this, I'm gonna, you don't know what I'll do. Like, yep. I, I'll do, you don't know what I might do. Yep. Like, it's so dramatic it's and a so very, immature. It, and it is a very immature reaction. It really is. It, it just goes to show. Um, but Celeste eventually consented to medical treatment. And in February of 1999, she began staying at a mental health facility. 
That line, though, by the way, did remind me, and this is just a plug for a TV show, but in the House of Usher, there's a line where one of the guys says, like, apparently she killed herself with a fireplace poker. How do you even do that? Like, Seriously, you got to mean it. That's like some Japanese suicide shit right there. Yeah, I just thought about that line. It's like, with a fireplace poker. How do you even do that? Right. I guess you heat it up first. I don't know. Um, but she checked herself into St. David Pavilion Psychiatric Hospital. Now it would be here where she would meet her new best friend, soon-to-be lover, and future accomplice, Tracy Tarleton. So, let's talk a little bit about Tracy, shall we? Tracy Tarleton was the manager of a local bookstore in the Austin area. Just a just a little a little humble librarian, yeah. Andy. That's all it is. No local big deal. Local place you ever heard of called Amazon. That's right. a small <laughs> local bookstore. Just a little local bookstore. Just a little corner of a shopping mall right next to a great clips and a GameStop. <laughs> it was a pop-up with a dream. <laughs> but she also had recently checked herself into St. David with the hopes of getting treatment for her bipolar disorder. Now, through shared personal experiences and childhood trauma, the two women became fast friends. And that's, I mean, that was Celeste's style, man. She was quick to make friends with somebody she could benefit from. Um, but Celeste and Tracy even made plans to pursue their treatment together at Timberlawn Hospital, which was a prominent facility in Dallas. It's also just very clear trauma bonding. Like it happens a lot in, yeah. in healthcare facilities or rehab places. Trauma bonding is, is very simple or very easy for people like that. Absolutely. And it can be therapeutic. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Um, but Celeste was discharged in June of 1999. Her and Tracy kept in touch, though, and it didn't take long for Tracy to start visiting the Beards residence on the reg. In one instance, Celeste threw a lavish party at her lake house exclusively for Tracy and the staff of her store. Celeste loved this lake house. Oh, yeah. That is, I think when she saw that lake house, she was like, I'll do whatever the fuck it takes to live in that lake house. Yeah, that's my retirement. She that's my wanted yeah. that. She didn't even care about the original main home, the Austin home. She wanted that lake house. Um, but their relationship would quickly turn sexual as they began spending more and more time alone together. Now, this tidbit of information was actually discovered by Celeste's favorite daughter, Christina, when she walked in on her mother and Tracy in bed together. Now, Christina didn't want to see her new stepfather have his heart broken again, so she told him about what she saw in hopes that they could work it out. Stephen, who was not an ignorant man by any means, could tell that the relationship between the women had progressed. He would tell Celeste that he didn't want Tracy around anymore at all. Yeah, your, your friend's uh, getting a little too friendly here. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you guys are sleeping in the same bed? Mm, there's a reason she's wearing, there's, why is she wearing my shirt? Why is she, right. <laughs> is she wearing my aftershave? What the hell? Um, but this ultimatum didn't sit well with Celeste, who at this point was starting to see her once doting husband distance himself from her and their marriage. It was after months of grade-A 100% bullshit being spewed by Celeste to her new lover that the two women began plotting what they felt needed to be done. And over the course of several weeks and multiple failed attempts, the lovers decided the one solution they hoped couldn't be survived. Shotgun solution, Andy. <laughs> Shotgun. Shotgun. And that brings us all the way back to the early hours of October 2nd, 1999 when emergency crews were responding to the chilling 911 call that you heard at the beginning of the episode. Now, naturally, with a shotgun blast to the stomach, Stephen required emergency surgeries, and doctors eventually determined that Stephen's internal organs had suffered multiple birdshot injuries, 
along with a baseball-sized hole located in his upper right abdominal region. So, yeah, that is probably the focus point. That's probably the worst. I mean, just a, a yeah, baseball-sized hole, man. He's crazy that he, he was able to live at all. It didn't kill him instantly. No, it's it's a it's a medical miracle almost that he survived a twenty-gauge shotgun like point blank to the stomach. And I mean, this is not a slight against Stephen. He was a heavier man, so it may have kind of helped a little bit with some of the bird shot. Right. But just it just shredded his internal organs. Like he had to have chunks of his colon removed. He mm-hmm. had to have a lesiotomy put in. So right. he was he was pretty well handicapped from this from this injury. Exactly. And this is where things begin appearing quite suspicious. Uh, from the very beginning, Celeste maintained that she heard nothing from inside the house that night. Nothing. Because she was sleeping in a separate bedroom, you know, due to the noise from Steven's CPAP machine. So you are sleeping in another room because you can't sleep during a CPAP machine, but you didn't hear a shotgun blast. From a from Honestly, inside the house. A CPAP machine is one of the most relaxing sounds I think I've ever heard. It's like a white noise machine. Seriously. It's basically like having like a fucking rain machine in your bedroom. Yeah. I'm super sus of this. Uh, yeah, I was that's a <laughs> I feel like the sh- the cops are even like, how loud's that fucking CPAP machine? What kind of is that diesel powered? Like right. what are you? <laughs> I don't Seriously. think that CPAP machine's running very well. No. <laughs> but I I will say I do have a story that kind of does tie into this and it just made me think just the idea of not hearing a shotgun blast in your own house. Right. My dad has a, a his younger brother when they were growing up, they did have an event where like, my dad and his oldest brother were sitting in the living room like watching TV late at night, and then like the it was like a thunderstorm outside, but then they clearly heard a shotgun blast from the back of their house. Oh shit! And the two of them freaked out and they ran back towards their youngest brother's room. And he was probably thirteen at the time, and they they bust through the door and their youngest brother is sitting on the end of his bed. With the shotgun like between his legs, pointing up at the ceiling, and just this look of pure like a terror on right. his face. It's got like sheetrock all over it. And there's just like a <laughs> like a raining down of sheetrock dust, and he's like got like clear has like the cleaning cloth of his gun yeah. and stuff, and, like the rod and stuff. And it was just that pure example of like I was cleaning it, Clean and it, it went, and it just poof, right Clean. through the ceiling. Right. Well, apparently my dad, my my grandparents slept through that whole thing either they slept through it or they said that they thought it was thunder wow so that throughout the middle of the night my dad and his brothers had to spend a couple of hours taking toothpaste and tissue paper and plugging all of the birdshot holes in oh the my ceiling God. to try and hide it from their parents and there was like, probably one never, massive hole too being that close apparently his parents did not know for several years until they told them later so I was like ah oh, it's so crazy that you didn't hear okay. a shotgun but like, well, my, I do have like a legitimate family member who did the same well, thing no, I guess, that wasn't yeah. even a mansion that was like a split level home in Florida right Right, right. I guess what would make it a little more believable is the quickness of a gunshot, right? Like, uh, the the volume of a gunshot might wake you, but I don't think you're going to be conscious enough to actually come awake and be like, that was a gunshot. Yeah, you're going to be like, what the one. hell? Yeah, unless you, would... you hear a second one. Exactly. One gunshot, one single shot. Yeah, I, I could see how maybe you don't hear it. Um, but, you know, I think Celeste was expecting it. Um, but throughout Steve's recovery and rehab, Celeste barely left his side, right? She's got to look, she's got to make the picture of the doting wife. Uh, with the help of a criminal defense attorney, of course, Celeste would keep police from even speaking with Stephen at all. She made it very apparent to the police that if they ever wanted to speak with her husband, they'd have to go through her and their lawyer. Like, why would you do this? This is so suspicious. Like, your husband was obviously attacked. There's a shotgun shell in the room, and you don't want 
him to speak to the police? Like, uh, come on. She does. She does try and claim that. Oh, it, these are these are Stephen's wishes. He doesn't want to talk to anybody. Yeah, he just of wants course. to. So I, I'm just protecting him. Yes, of course. Of course you are. Uh, so, without being able to interview their victim and his defensive wife refusing to give them any real leads into what might have happened, the police had to turn to other members of the family for answers. So they bring in Celeste's daughters for questioning, along with their boyfriends, who actually spent quite a bit of time at the property, apparently. They were actually featured in uh, multiple documentaries about this case. Um, and the police begin trying to find any clues as to who might have wanted to hurt Stephen. Jennifer told police about Celeste's good friend, Tracy Tarleton, and the box was opened. Yeah, you got to remember, Jennifer's not the one who's her favorite. Jennifer's the one who kind of just moved in with the family. That's correct. So she's kind of just being like, oh, no, Steve, Steve's su su super cool. I like Steve. He takes me out to lunch sometimes. Super nice guy. Yeah, he's not mom. That's great. Yes, I, uh, I like Steve. I like anybody that's not mom. Uh, but after her sister began telling the police about Tracy, even Christina, the favorite daughter of Celeste, eventually caved as well and told the officers about her experience catching her mother and Tracy in bed together. They also mentioned how they told these suspicions to their stepfather and that he had forbidden Tracy from coming back to their home at all. This does a, it does kind of test like that cinematic quality. It's like imagine like two twin sisters sitting in an interrogation room and one of them is like, oh, yeah, you know, Tracy. And one of the other one's like, shut up. Like, don't talk about Tracy. Right. She's like, no, right. tell him about Tracy. No, tell him about Tracy. Like, okay, well, I mean, like, we did like see her kissing mom like once. Like, it's it literally is like a cinematic little interrogation to be like, no, 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 keep talking. Keep talking. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And the police were also able to confirm that the sliding glass door that led into Stephen's bedroom had been unlocked the night of the attack. That's what I was joking about earlier. You know, the paramedics could have just slid the door open, but how could they know, right? I mean, they didn't need to break it after all, but it's fun to break stuff. Right? Yeah, well, I emergencies. Think they, I think they entered a second glass door. They didn't oh. go to his bedroom door. They did break in. It a was glass one of those door. glass doors that's in the middle of like a glass wall, and you can't tell where it is. Yeah, they're just they're like, just like ah, God, bam, oh, son of a no, nope, this isn't it. Shit. No, but I, I do think they didn't break in his bedroom because his his bedroom did have a sliding glass door to exit the home. Right, but you right. had to like go around the house to get to his bedroom. That's why uh, Tracy had to be led there by Celeste. You'll, you'll learn. But that uh, the police did go to a, another glass door and just keep banging and nobody answered. So they did break in one of the a separate glass door. Okay, right. But yeah, when they went to his bedroom, then they kind of looked at the other one and were like, Sly oh. Oh, this would have been easy access. This would have been the way to go. Um, but not only that, the home's alarm system had also been deactivated just a few hours before the initial 911 call. That is heavily suspicious, especially if you're living in a mansion. Yeah, you're a multi-millionaire um, in Austin, Texas. Yeah, and you forget. Neighborhood. And you deactivate your alarm. Yeah, don't yeah, do just that, man. Who just randomly turns off the alarm at 11 p.m.? Exactly. Hmm. So with this bit of incriminating evidence, the police decided to pay Tracy a visit. And guys, that is where we are going to stop this week with part one of this crazy twisted saga about Celeste Beard. Um, but guys, next week we will get into the officer's interrogation of Tracy and so much more comes out when Tracy gives her side of the story. You guys definitely want to check that out next week. 
But for right now, guys, I got to tell you about some Oh My Gaia. You know I got to do it. Oh My Gaia is an all-natural, innovative, deodorant, fragrance, and beard oil company specializing in paraben and aluminum-free products. Their innovative line of deodorants inhibit the growth of odor-causing bacteria while still maintaining effectiveness. And guys, there's tons of scents to choose from. Oh my guy, of course, we have our own scent here at True Crime Guys called True Crime Pine. A great place to start if you don't know what you're looking for, but there's also scents like Barbershop, Sailor, Sweet Pea, Pear, Bergamot Amber, Fireside, Honeysuckle, Lumberjack, Leather, Dreamsicle. That's a good one. Don't eat it, though. I mean, Coconut. You can, <laughs> you can but... <clears throat> Coconut, Egyptian Musk, uh, Lemongrass, Lavender. So many great scents. And guys, because you're True Crime Guys listeners, you can use the word creeper for 15% off your order at shop underscore oh my Gaia on Instagram or ohmygaia.com. Guys, again, that's ohmygaia.com, O-H-M-Y-G-A-I-A.com and use the word creeper for 50%, 15% off. How many times have I done that, Andy? I mean, you're trying to get this product away. I'm trying. <laughs> you're trying to give this stuff away. <laughs> Wendy over there at oh my Gaia is going to be charging me. She's like, these people keep hitting me up for 50% off, you asshole. <laughs> Trying to make some business, trying to make some money here. I gotta make a living here. I'm sorry, Wendy. 15% off, guys. Use the word creeper. You will not regret it. If you're already in the market for an all-natural deodorant, fragrance, uh, beard oil company, whatever it is, guys, it's becoming winter, right? No shave November's coming up. Mm-hmm. Get you some beard oil. Make that thing look good. Tame that thing. Don't have it all scraggly sticking out everywhere. Get you some beard oil. Starting to get dry. Get that skin's going, going to get on, dry. Man. The hair is going to get nice and coarse and stuff. It is. You need to get some sheen on it. Get that sheen. Nice and smooth. Right? Get the sheen. Um, but guys, if you're watching on YouTube, thank you so much. Make sure you hit that subscribe button. And guys, be on the lookout for our shorts all over social media. If you will, please share, uh, like these, comment, send them to your friends, whatever it is, guys. Leave a review if you haven't already and you enjoy the show. That does help the show. It helps others find the show and figure out what we're about. Um, wherever you're listening, whether it be on Spotify, uh, Apple Podcast, or whatever. And if we're not on a platform, let us know. We'll get the podcast there. But we should be anywhere you listen to podcasts, as well as YouTube, guys. And like we said, on YouTube, we are up uploading stuff on the daily. So give us a subscribe there. Hit that notification bell so you will be well aware. Also, guys, check out our merch right below the link. Uh, I mean, right below the description of this episode, you can click the True Crime Guys link tree, and you can find multiple merch sites that we have available going all the way back. If you're an OG listener, you can still get merch with our first podcast logo on it. That's also on the True Crime Pine Jar from Oh My Gaia, if you remember the mug shots of myself and Lorne, all the way up to our current TV head design right now. So tons of stuff on Threadless, on Ken Custom, on Redbubble. You can get everything from a mouse pad to a shower curtain to a sticker to a phone case for popular models, obviously. Um, But all kinds of stuff. And guys, also, check out our musical album that we just released called Truths and Tragedies. Wherever you listen to music, um, that is available now. You can even use True Crime Guys intros on your Instagram reels and stories. So check that out, guys. We're on Instagram. We're on Facebook music. We're on TikTok. Oh, should be on TikTok music. TikTok takes the longest. They got so many dang stipulations over there. It's ridiculous. They make you jump through quite a bit of hoops. But everywhere else, our content is there, guys. Google True Crime Guys, truecrimeguys.com if you ever forget. All right? I think that's about it, Andy. You think of anything else? Oh, no. I'm so ready to get to part two eventually of those. Like I said, <laughs> this story is like a mini series in and of itself. It really the, is. The more I read into it, I was like, oh, my God. You fucking reveal and reveal and reveal. Reveal. <laughs> <laughs> I, felt like walk, I felt like walking around playing Harry Potter. Revelio. 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 
<laughs> All right, guys. Well, that's it for this week. Like I said, tune in next week for part two and uh, check the video out on YouTube. Until then, keep on creeping. Revelio! Same old story with different names. She was in her 30s, he was twice.